to see you here. The Lord is glad you're here. If you would, turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11, as you are turning there, and hopefully with that video still fresh in your mind, there's a lot of good ministry that occurs here, and many of you are involved in it, one degree or another. Some are here on-site helping, some through your generous contributions that are made to the Lord, and then uh, the leadership uh, works to distribute those to the various uh, ministries that we have. But all this is in pursuit of the mission of God, which is the mission of the local church in not just meeting uh, felt needs through food, the laundry shuttle. Uh, this last Thursday, we had uh, the Paul Mitchell School on site, uh, providing free haircuts for the homeless, uh, showers, clothing, uh, but in also aiming to meet spiritual needs uh, as we have opportunity. And that goes right in line with what we're going to be talking about this morning. Isaiah chapter 11, let's read verses 1 through 11 of Isaiah chapter 11. Hear now the word of the true and living God. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of Yahweh shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of Yahweh, and his delight shall be in the fear of Yahweh. He shall judge not, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked." Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion, and the fatted calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. In that day... The root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, 
from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. Let us pray. Lord God, we want the we want your knowledge, the knowledge of who you are to cover the earth, to spread to the ends of the earth. And so we pray, Father, that you would continue to fulfill this prophecy even today accomplishing your international purposes. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. When, when you look upon the faces of the people that you come in contact with on a day-to-day basis, what do you see? You see the faces of lost people. You know, when I, I've had opportunity to set foot on foreign soil on a couple of occasions, and you feel the weight of the lostness of humanity in those contexts, so many people, and yet so few of them truly know the Lord. And it's easy to become complacent when it's in our own backyard across our street or down and around the block at the grocery store at the gas station at the doctor's office how do we see the people that we come in contact with do we see them through the eyes of faith and and recognize that even here there are many who do not know the Lord they don't really know him They have the the privilege and the blessing of living in a country that for many years has had the blessing and the favor of the God of heaven. But many of them take advantage and, and squander those privileges and blessings. And then we recognize that there is an international scope to the purposes of our God. And and these are the things that I want to talk about this morning as we talk about going to the ends of the earth and, and the gospel going to the ends of the earth. You see, it is God's intention. We find this in Scripture, and we're going to build this principle as we go along this morning, but it is God's intention to bless all families and all nations and that it is His intention that all nations turn to Him so it's, it's God's intention. It is the, the, the intention of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, to bless the nations and to cause the nations to turn to Him. The question is, will God be eternally bummed because He failed to realize His intention? I don't believe so. And I want to spend our time this morning going through the pages of the Old Testament Scripture to build out the 
international intention of the triune God in history. And what we're going to find are a number of prophecies in the pages of the Old Testament, prophecies that are intended to be descriptive of the future. And we need to recognize that when God utters prophecy, He's not just speculating or, or building sky castles out of the clouds. When God utters prophecy, He is recording history before it happens. Let's begin in, well, in the beginning, Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God is calling Abram. Abram, as you find out later on in the book of Joshua, was, with the rest of his family, an idolater. They were idolaters before the one true and only God called them out of the land of Ur. It's interesting that his father first took up the journey, but then stopped at the halfway house of Haran. And just based on the text, it, it would seem like that was something that displeased the Lord. But then the word of Yahweh comes to Abram. And he, he, he calls him out of his country. Verse 1, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Notice the scope of this blessing here. This is the first revelation of the divine intention that has that international scope to it. All the families of the earth shall be blessed in you, in, a, in you, Abraham. All the families of the earth. This is repeated in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22 is, of course, the account of when God calls Abraham to offer Isaac. And much can be said about this text. But what I want specifically is after Abraham has demonstrated his faith, God stays his hand, and God, through the angel of Yahweh, and I am persuaded just based on the way that that phrase is used in the Old Testament, that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. That is before he took on flesh. Christ is here in the pages of the Old Testament, and it is through the angel of Yahweh that uh, God issues this uh, blessing. He repeats these blessings. Notice verse 17, Genesis twenty-two seventeen. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Here it is again. A repetition, this time a little different. All families of the earth now is all the nations. And it just seems to be a synonymous phrase for that international scope of this blessing. And again, it is Yahweh revealing His intention, His purpose, His will. 
And this is the acorn that will grow into the mighty oak. Spoken here in prophecy. Come with me to Psalm 2. Psalm 2, the second psalm. This is a, without a doubt, a messianic psalm. It is talking about Messiah, but it also reveals inter-Trinitarian dialogue. That is, dialogue that takes place amongst the triune God. A conversation we wouldn't know takes place except that the triune God has revealed it. We see in verse 2 that the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against His anointed. And again, this is, this is about the Messiah. This is about Christ. Messiah and Christ both mean the same thing. One is the Hebrew term, one is the Greek term. They both mean anointed one. And so this is a conversation that takes place, I'm persuaded, between the Father and the Son. We come down here to verse 7. Notice, I will tell of the decree. The decree is the decree of the enthronement of the Messiah as king. Christ as king. That his kingdom is going to come into the world once he takes his seat at the right hand of the Father. Notice, Yahweh said to me, and again, I, this is the conversation between the, the Trinity, between the Father and the Son. You are my Son. Notice, you are my Son. Today I have begotten you. This is a text which is quoted in the New Testament. It is applied to Jesus, to God the Son. So again, this is conversation between the Father and the Son. Notice verse 8, ask of me. This is the Father saying to the Son, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. The Father is exhorting the Son, Ask of me, Son. All you got to do is ask. Any fathers ever been in that situation with your children, right? You just got to ask, and, and it'll be yours. Well, this is God the Father, saying to God the Son, exhorting Him, ask of me, ask for the nations as your heritage, the ends of the earth as your possession. The question is, will the Son ask? Of course He does. Which then follows with another question. Will the Father fail to give the Son what He has asked for? In other words, will the triune God fail in accomplishing their eternal purposes. What happens is, as you continue reading through this, the kings of the earth are exhorted, be wise, be warned, serve Yahweh with fear, verse 11, rejoice with trembling, kiss the sun. And that's an idea that is deeply related to the idea of worship. What we do in worship is we kiss God. We, we recognize Him as worthy of our worship. And so that's the idea here. Kiss the sun. And again, it goes out to all these nations. If you do not, all that awaits is judgment. Uh, verse 9, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. 
Yeah, judgment's going to fall upon the nations that reject Yahweh and reject his Messiah. But again, notice it is intended for the nations. Come with me to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2, another deeply messianic text. It's talking about Christ and, and his coming, what God will do through Messiah. Verse 1, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw. That's interesting. Normally, we would expect that when the word comes, the word is spoken, and so he would hear, yeah. But he saw the word uh, concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of Yahweh shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it, and many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go the law, and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. So you have this picture where the mountain of the house of Yahweh is exalted. And this is a prophetic text. It, is, it, it involves it, figurative language is used here. And so the mountain, typically in prophetic literature, mountain symbolizes kingdoms or a kingdom. And so what is, what is depicted here is that Yahweh's kingdom, His mountain, is what is exalted uh, above all the other mountains, all the other kingdoms. In fact, so great is the mountain of Yahweh, it makes all the other mountains merely molehills. That's how great His kingdom is going to be, how great His mountain is. And then, did you catch that it's going to be out of Zion, out of uh, Jerusalem, and I think that's the starting point. Hello, Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. That, it's going to go out from there. What is? The law of God is going to go out. The Torah of God, that's the word that's used here in Hebrew, the law, the word of Yahweh is going to go out, and it's going to go out to such an extent, did you catch, the transformation that takes place within people. Uh, all the nations, many people are going to come to the mountain of God, and they're going to seek His wisdom. This is the transformation that takes place within the nations, within the peoples, where instead of rebelling against God's Word, let's go up and let's hear the Word. Let us, we want Him to teach us His ways, and these are ways of peace. Because you notice they beat their swords in the plowshares. War is, is going to become a foreign thing to the peoples. As God's law, this desire for God's law to govern them, takes over. 
which again, that's a contrast. Contrast to how Psalm 2 began. Remember, the, the kings and the rulers, they all set themselves. They're, they're conspiring, and they're saying, we want to break. We don't want his law to be over us. Now there's a change. There's a, a transformation that takes place among the people, and now they desire for God's law, and they desire his ways. We want to learn his ways. And you have the establishment of justice, but it's rooted ultimately in King Yahweh's law, in his word. That becomes the standard for justice. The peoples, they're not inventing uh, their, their form of justice, their code of justice. It is informed by the law of Yahweh. Turn over a few pages to Isaiah chapter 11, where we read from. Isaiah chapter 11. Remember, we saw there in Isaiah 2, 2, all the nations, right? Many peoples. And then notice here, verse 9, we read it. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. There it is again, the mountain. Okay, that's, that's the kingdom. As the kingdom starts small, but then like leaven, it, it, takes, it fills the whole lump. Uh, it, it starts off like the acorn grows in the mighty oak. It starts off as a, as a small seed, but then it grows up into a mighty tree. Okay? All these images are, are utilized by Christ uh, to talk about the small beginnings, but then it goes out and, uh, and, and all the, the birds of the heavens come in and fill the branches and all that. But here it is again, all my whole mountain. They're, they're, they're not going to hurt or destroy. That's an echo from chapter 2 where we want to learn his ways, the ways of peace, and beat their swords in the plowshares. For, so here's the explanation, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. Now, there's, there's a lot of connections here in Isaiah uh, that are worthy of exploring. I invite you to go back and, and read Isaiah 6, where you see the seraphim in the very throne room of God, and they're flying around crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And as, as they're, they're, so you have the, the, the triple statement of His holiness, and now we have a repetition of, in all my holy mountain, that's, that's a, a linguistic connection here. Uh, but also, what we're after here especially, the earth is full of the knowledge of Yahweh and, and the, the picture here, as waters cover the sea. Uh, the context here is one of uh, even judgment upon His people. God bringing judgment upon his people. That was chapter 10 of Isaiah. He's going to utilize Assyria to execute that judgment. But then there's this announcement of a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? Well, that was, that was David's daddy, King David. Ah, and so here's this shoot that comes from the stump of Jesse. The idea is there's going to be this new David who's even greater than the original David. We know about David and all his shortcomings and sin and iniquity and everything that he did. As, as much as he was a man after God's own heart, he, he came up short a lot, we see, right? The, the whole census thing as well, the Bathsheba episode. This shoot that comes from the stump of Jesse. Ah, this new David is coming. And this is, again, messianic. It's pointing to Christ that this, the spirit of Yahweh is going to rest upon him. Did you catch the Trinitarian emphasis there, the spirit of Yahweh on Christ, okay? 
that's, that's by design. Uh, and so uh, he's going to come into the world. He's going to be the one who delights in the fear of Yahweh. Uh, and he's going, going to strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. That's, uh, that's a statement of judgment. There's going to be this um, r- cosmic reshuffling is, is the best way I can describe it. Where th- Did you catch all those, those things about the lion and the lamb and the, the nursing child? You know, I, I, my kids... I know they love, uh, especially my middle, he loves, he loves reptiles, loves snakes and like that, but you don't go by the cobra or the adder, right? Those are poisonous snakes. And yet, that's the imagery that's utilized here, again, to talk about this, this prince who is coming, this, this uh, one who is coming uh, who is going to be a prince of peace. That's why they're not going to hurt or destroy anymore in his mountain. He's going to bring peace uh, to the mountain, to his kingdom as his kingdom goes all over, and you have the earth is full of this knowledge. And I bring up this text specifically because it is quoted in the New Testament. Verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 11 is quoted in the New Testament. Keep keep your finger there in Isaiah 11. Come with me to Romans 15. Here, Paul is beginning to summarize his arguments that he's been making throughout the epistle to the Romans. And one of the things he stresses here as he concludes is how Christ has become a servant, not just for the Jewish people, but for the Gentile people. That is, he's a servant for all people, Jews, Gentiles, every, every tribe, language, nation, people. He's a servant for them. And to demonstrate this, Paul begins to quote verse after verse after verse from the Old Testament. And when you come to verse 12, he quotes from Isaiah. Again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. And you'll, you'll read that, and then you look back, and you say, well, it's a little different. It's true, it, it is. Paul here is quoting from the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, what's called the Septuagint. And also, you notice, he left off the first few words, in that day. Why? Because for Paul, he recognizes that that day's come. And by the way, brothers and sisters, we're still living in that day. We are in that day where uh, this root from Jesse, this new David, King Jesus has come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, notice he's not just going to rule Rome. In Paul's day, that was the ruling empire. He's come, his mountain is going to be greater than all the other kingdoms, right? He's come to uh, be Emperor Emmanuel, to be king of the world, king of the nations. And it, it behooves the nations. It is to their privilege and blessing that they bow the knee to King Jesus. In Him will the Gentiles hope. And and indeed, we Gentiles continue to hope, and we invite others to come and do the same thing. By the way, there seems to be a little bit of play on words here about He who arises. That's resurrection language. (laughs) And we serve a risen King, yes? Our Lord is risen from the dead. And so he is the proper object of our hope, even the hope of our own resurrection. And so the nations put their hope in him. The Gentiles do, the one who rules the nations. Um, 
there's a, a clear echo of that Isaiah text in Habakkuk. Um, let's go to Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk 2. And verse 14 is what we're after, but the context here is without a doubt pointing to the new covenant, the eternal covenant that's coming in Christ. We know this because in verse 4, uh, Habakkuk 2 and verse 4 talks about how the righteous, the righteous shall live by faith. You ever hear that in the New Testament? Oh, yeah. Romans, Galatians, Hebrews has it as well. And then uh, verse 20 of Habakkuk 2, the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Paul's argument in Romans, his thesis statement, he pulls from Habakkuk 2.4 to say that the just shall live by faith. And then the rest of chapter 1, all of chapter 2, and most of chapter 3, he's making the argument, all the earth, all Jews and Gentiles are sinners before God and are, are accountable to Him. And one of the things he says in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 3 in Romans, he says that, the, that, that, that every mouth is stopped. The whole earth is silent. There's, there's no more. All that is left is a whole world full of sinners head bowed before the throne of God, before His judgment seat. Head bowed because we know all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We want verse 14 of Habakkuk chapter 2. <clears throat> Because again, I, there's this clear echo from Isaiah. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. I mean, it's, it's almost a verbatim quotation. Habakkuk inserts here not just the knowledge of Yahweh, but the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh, uh, which is itself a, a beautiful thing. God's glory made known in all the world. In fact, the knowledge of that glory fills it as waters cover the sea. Now, again, um, the context here is about when God judges His people, uh, this time through Babylon. And it is through the, Babylon, through the, through the Babylonian uh, exile and, and what Babylon will do in the destruction of Jerusalem in uh, their day, what will happen is that will be a signal for the whole world. And, and you have um, five woes that are spoken here upon Babylon for what they're going to do. God will judge them in righteousness as well. But just as when He judged His own people and revealed His glory to, so that it filled the earth in their day, so also when He judges Babylon, his, the knowledge of His glory is going to fill the earth also. But again, to a greater, de- to a greater degree, when God judged His own Son on the cross for our sins. That was the starting point for God, the knowledge of His glory going out and filling the earth as the waters cover the seas. That is the supreme demonstration of God's glory, the cross. And Christ dying for sins and for sinners. The cross announces the glory of God. It announces the knowledge of Him as well. And indeed, that is flooding the earth even as we speak. There are so many others 
Um, I have here Malachi chapter 1, from the rising of the sun to its setting. My name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says Yahweh. And in Malachi's day, uh, they were not making God's name great. In fact, they were profaning His name because of what they were doing. Um, it's, that, it's that phrase there, in every place, that is, is, is very significant uh, it, uh, because uh, it echoes what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8 where he says, I, I desire for all men in all places to lift up holy hands in prayer to God. And, and so I believe we see, again, fulfillment of this once again. What Malachi envisions is coming to fruition during the Christian age. Uh, one more is from Psalm 22. And we know Psalm 22, don't we? Because it begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those are the words that are on the lips of our Lord as He is dying on the cross. And you go through there and, and you see that the clear prophetic connections. Again, God is writing history before it happens concerning the crucifixion of His Son. And uh, they... Uh, they are, um, his heart is melted like wax, and, and of course the spear goes up into his side, and out comes blood and water, and they have pierced my hands and my feet, verse 16 says, clear prophetic connections to what is going to happen in the death of Christ. But if you keep reading into Psalm 22, this one who uh, dies is the same one who is going to be raised up. And in fact, uh, posterity will serve him, verse 30 says. Um, this one who could not keep himself alive, verse 29, well, all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. And so, clearly, there's anticipated a resurrection to come. And it's verse 27 in particular that we want, because all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to Yahweh, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Families and nations. Where do we start? We started with Abraham and the, the, the promise that was made to him. All families, all nations. Here it is, uh, repeated. Uh, again, emphasizing the international scope, that the, the, a, a, the promise made to Abraham is going to be fulfilled through the mission, ministry, and message of Christ in this world. That all these tribes, all these ethnic groups, all these nations are going to follow Yahweh. They're going to turn to Him and worship Him. Why? Verse 28, for kingship belongs to Yahweh and He rules the nations. Present tense. He's still ruling. Um, come with me to 1 Corinthians 15. And, and this, is, this is where we want to land this morning. 1 Corinthians 15. This is a text that deals with the gospel, deals with the resurrection of Christ. There were apparently some in Corinth who 
said that resurrection, that, that doesn't happen. And so Paul has to straighten the record and say, look, if, if you're going to say resurrection does not happen, um, then you, Christ is still in his tomb. There's no hope for us. We are to be pitied more than all people. Our faith is futile. You see, ideas have consequences, all right? And if you say there's no resurrection, but indeed, Christ has been raised. That's his argument. Christ is risen. And because Christ has been raised, we have hope. Verse 20, in fact, Christ has been, risen from, has been raised from the dead. But one of the consequences of the resurrection of Christ is he's also ascended back to the Father's right hand. And so uh, you have an anticipation for when the end comes in verse 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Remember Psalm 2 about dashing to pieces and uh, he's going he's gonna to smash them with a rod of iron, uh, which uh, you had a repetition of over in Isaiah as well. But verse 25 is what we're after here. Isaiah uh, 15, verse 25. For he must reign. Don't miss that. Christ is ruling and reigning right now. Your king reigns, O Christian. He must reign. Not maybe, I sure hope he does. There is necessity here. He must. It is necessary that he reign until he has put all his enemies. That was the purpose for every rule and authority and power in verse 24. All of his enemies are going to be put under his feet. This is a clear echo of Psalm 110. We could have gone there this morning. Uh, but uh, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Do you realize that King Jesus is ruling and reigning right now and is in the process of putting all of his enemies under his feet? We've talked about this before, about how all of the current isms, secularism and humanism and Darwinianism and every ism right now is being put under the feet of King Jesus. He is bringing his enemies to heel. In fact, putting his boot on their neck. That's the idea. Now, we don't always see exactly how that is happening. But by faith, he must reign and is reigning right now. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. King Jesus. He's already defeated death in the resurrection. And then is coming again, the ultimate defeat of death. But in the meantime, he's ruling the world. And this is what we see as men and women, people from every tribe, language, nation, tongue, uh, are, are coming into all people groups, all ethnic groups, right? We, we are people who recognize there's but one race of humans. That's the human race. He made from one blood all the nations of the earth. So we're, just talk, we're talking about ethnicities now. All ethnic groups are streaming into the kingdom. He must reign until. You see, not all his enemies are defeated, and not all nations, and not all families. The ends of the earth are not all in glorious submission to King Jesus. So we do, we've got work to do, brothers and sisters. And so we go. 
and we make disciples of all the nations. That is, we go into all nations and we make them aware that kingship belongs to Yahweh and He rules the nations through King Jesus. That Christ is reigning. We make the nations aware of His reign. So what is priority number one for us? Preach the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom of God. The gospel of the kingdom of Christ. The gospel of the rule and reign of Jesus. And again, we, we talked about this a bit last week. There's only two options. We talked about it in class this morning too. There's only two options when people are confronted with the rule and reign of Jesus right now. They can bow the knee in submission and confess Him as Lord and be obedient to Him in all things. Or they reject Him. And they refuse to bow the knee. And they continue to follow their own stubborn will. But as we have seen, all that remains for that is judgment. All, we see it right here. Either you bow the knee to King Jesus now, or He will bring you into submission at the end. But it will be as one of His enemies. Priority number one is world evangelism. And it starts right where we are. The emphasis for, for every congregation, Davis Park included, is to preach the gospel to all creation. The emphasis for, for every Christian home, my home, your home, all of our homes. Priority number one, world evangelism. To see children, and grandchildren converted to Christ. Because that's the thing. We, we, we live in anticipation of the imminent coming of Christ, that He could come at any moment. But what if He delays? And, and it's according to His timetable, not ours. We don't know when He's coming back. What if He delays in the meantime? Put your boots on, put the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace, put those on and get busy teaching all nations, preaching the gospel, making people aware of the kingdom and the rule of Christ in the here and the now. Every congregation, every Christian home, every Christian brothers and sisters, every Christian. This needs to be a priority for each one of us. Not just ministers, not just elders, not just deacons, every Christian, every member. You see it in prophecy. God has recorded the history. How can we fail? He won't. Neither shall we. Let's commit this to prayer. <clears throat> Lord God, your intention is so glorious. Your, your will is staggering and awe-inspiring. And, and confronted with this international scope, we ourselves are reminded of our own uh, meager efforts in this global enterprise that is your kingdom. We pray that we would be more diligent in sharing the gospel, knowing that we cannot fail and we are immortal until you call us home. 
that you, Father, would take our meager efforts and that you would remember that we are only of the dust and that there's only so much that we can do. We pray that you would be mindful of our frame, that you would take those meager efforts and multiply them greatly for your kingdom. I'm so grateful for each one of my brothers and sisters here. And I'm grateful for the brothers and sisters who are yet to come into the kingdom, the future converts that you have promised. And so, Father, help us to live in faith of your promises. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.